Saludos, mi gente, and welcome back to Salita Stories and Casita Chronicles. This is Bianca. Hey, y'all, uh, and this is Hasmin. Hey, Hasmin, long time no see. I know, I'm glad to have you back uh, uh, for the episodes. We missed you last week. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So how, how are you doing, Bianca? I'm okay. For those of you who don't know, I, you know, I was on a break. I took a much needed rest. And then I had a family emergency come up. I had to come back to Oregon on the quick. And I've been working from here, luckily. One of the good things about being in a pandemic that you can work from home, I was able to kind of rush out here and like come support the family and stuff, which is good. But then also... I think I'm starting to get a little bit homesick and like want to be in my own space. I wasn't here for the best of reasons, but trying to make the best of it while I can. Mm-hmm. How about you? I'm doing well. You know, I am grateful for my health at this point. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, here with my family still for a little bit, gearing up to head back to Gainesville. Uh, hopefully by the end of this month to get back to work in the in the spaces. But I think currently for me, something that's kind of been on my mind a lot is just like everything that's happening, you know, in the world. So we have this pandemic be hitting and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But I think right now too, something is like the whole affairs of the world with like Black Lives Matter, the protests, people wanting to be heard and people really trying to advocate and trying to get justice too for individuals who have experienced, you know, horrendous crimes against them. And so that's really, it kind of, it was a lot of, um, me trying to then do like more research because you know I, I feel like in this field and when you're kind of going to college you you become aware of different stuff you try yeah. to learn in on it but even then like no one's an expert and so for me I've taken the time like to kind of try to do some inward reflection and just have like more conversations with people I think that's why today just you know because we want to speak to it um, and also show our support for the students, especially our students at UF who are, um, you know, partaking in these different things and trying to learn more. And so for this episode, we're kind of focusing on, it's like a calling in, right, to our listeners, to our students, even people who may be listening to this podcast who don't attend UF. This is a topic that right now is very much impacting not only people within the US, but this is very much kind of a world movement at this point where there's protests happening in like London, there's protests happening in different countries in South America. And so today we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit about it and kind of, you know, some of the underpinnings of the things that are going on right now is like anti-blackness in society, both in US, but also Latin, you know, Latin America, there's a lot of it within our old community, right? The Latinx community. Yeah hitting on some topics some vocabulary words that may help someone out if you're trying to have a conversation with with people about this stuff and hopefully you know in the end it's going to be something helpful for everyone listening definitely I mean I think there's a lot of layers to it especially I guess like for people who don't know us and like can't physically see us I guess technically I'm like light-skinned like you can tell that I'm not white but like especially in the winter when Oregon came around like my skin would turn really sad and pale. But I can like tan very easily and I prefer to be tan. Talking about kind of tanning, I remember that sometimes my mom would be like, don't go in the sun because you don't want to get darker. And I'd be like, why? I feel prettier when I'm darker, right? And so little instances like that, I think within our culture, we start to see the beginning of anti-Blackness and we kind of start getting socialized in it. 
or even when people have babies, they're like, oh, how was the baby? Like, what color were their eyes? Are they dark? Are they light? What's their hair like? Blah, blah, blah. Because it's usually deemed more acceptable or more beautiful, the lighter that a person is or a baby is. Even like straight out of the womb, right? We're thinking about these things and kind of socialized to think these things. And so as much as we sometimes like to think that, okay, like we're not racist, we're people of color, blah, blah, blah. There's still a lot of anti-Blackness within our culture that I think we need to really start exploring and dismantling. And I think especially when you look at it, because of course, a lot of things you have to contextualize, right? So like in America, there is very much sometimes like, there, you know, slavery and stuff. So like the systems are very much built on things that equality was never was never there to like be- begin with and so then when you start bringing in other groups like when you look at history like you know like so um mexicans right so a large part of america used to be part of mexico and then when hey. america first off the land that is founded this whole country was from indigenous people so just to acknowledge that it was <laughs> speak on it um but there's been so with that you know the land and then immigration america very much has become very much like a lot of different groups have come together and that has influenced the history of the country and just kind of like how you view different things and so with Latinx groups in particular especially the you know if people immigrated or not or if they're like several generations in there is an experience there where you know our there have been injustices against our community as well and that's why I think sometimes it's hard for some people to then acknowledge still some of the privileges that we hold, right? And then also mm-hmm. acknowledging the ways that we contribute to this anti-Blackness rhetoric or kind of ideology within our own communities mm-hmm. and within structures. And that's where I think today is important because it can be a, a tough conversation depending on who it, it is you're having it with and also on how, on the people that you're, the information that you kind of take in, right? So for some of us, this may be something that we haven't really thought about before. Which is why I think it's important that we talk about it. But yeah. when you look at kind of the history of even that in America, we're very much, again, a mix of different things. I think we've talked about it before. We're like indigenous, mm-hmm. European, but also a large part of that also is Black ancestors. When you look at the Atlantic slave trade, yes, a lot of people went to um, the U.S. The South United States, yeah. But Latin America, Brazil, there's, there was a lot of people that also went to, to Latin America. And so they're very much part of the history and part of the, you know, a lot of parts of different cultures also take part of like Black culture. So like, you know, music, whether it's music, food. And so I think it's important that we acknowledge that history. That way we can start having conversations then too on why, like when someone says Latinx, the idea that most people were going to think of is probably going to be someone like if you kind of look at commodified culture, right? I'm going to use that instead of popular culture. I learned that from Dr. Ortiz, Paul Ortiz. Hey. culture is like maybe someone is going to think of someone maybe like J-Lo, right? So people like you see kind of represented a lot. So like J-Lo, Camila Cabello, like people who kind of have a more of a lighter complexion. But then there's that erasure of like Afro-Latinx. It's very much is important part of our community but mm-hmm. they also suffer kind of from this erasure of that story of Latinx and and some of those um aspects and so so this is again this is something that we're kind of 
starting the conversation on. We're hoping to do a follow-up episode that will talk a little bit more about like historical stuff, bring in a professor to talk about that who has a little bit more background. We wanted to acknowledge this and then also start talking about anti-Blackness and racism and kind of how to now, especially with all these movements, how to kind of partake in this rhetoric and have those conversations. So Bianca, you've been in the student affairs game now for a long time. Have you ever heard the concept and idea of anti-racism? I've heard the word and I haven't done as much research as I should, but I think that from what I understand, it's kind of like the active combating of racism. For example, like if there's a comment of like something racist, right? Like, I don't know, usually in families when there's a darker sibling, we call them negro or negra, etc. And so sometimes maybe questioning that and calling that out of like, why do you call her that? Or why do you call them that? So kind of the action piece of combating racism. Is that right? Is that a good guess? Yes, I would say action is very much a great word to kind of connect to this idea of anti-racism. So like, once again, we le- we're learning out here. I'm not pro on anti-racism, <laughs> but... Um, in my master's program currently, we just took a class, a diversity class, and one of the books that we had to read for that course was How to Be an Anti-Racist by um, Dr. Ibram Kendi. I remember reading the first couple of pages where it kind of starts explaining what it is, and I was a little, I don't want to say shook, but it, it just changed, it reframed, right? It reframed okay. the way that I looked at it because that what Dr. Um, Kendi says in his book is that neutrality is a dangerous area so Mm. kind of put that you know usually when we think about racism we think about either you're racist or you're not racist or people Uh kind of use that duality um between you know kind of seeing what people are doing by their actions and what dr kendi was stating in his book which i highly recommend for people to read they have they have like you know it's a like twelve dollars fifteen dollars maybe have at the uf uh library so i suggest you read it but his whole thing was that just being not racist is not enough not because enough. it's a system. And so I'm going to pull in um, Dr. Lorge Garcia Peña, who is a scholar that kind of works on, you know, like migration, um, Black Afro-Latinx experiences mm-hmm. and racism. thing that she said, like a quote that I really liked is like, what sustains racism is precisely that it does not reside on individual choice, but rather in a system that, you know, underpins every single one of our institutions. So kind of with that in mind, what Dr. Kendi was saying is like everything, you know, whether it's policy or whether it's decisions or conversations, you could either work actively against racism, which is where you're then an anti-racist, or you could allow kind of like be complicit again in these systems, which then is not anti-racist because you're mm-hmm. just like kind of, you know, allowing these racist things to kind of still continue to go on. And I was like, what? Right? Because we always like, oh, no, it's kind of because so, a lot of people, that gray area is a place I feel is a very much a comfort zone for some people. Well, and it's a privilege, I think, to be able to be neutral, right? Mm-hmm. To be like, oh, it doesn't impact me. Right. So I don't care about it. Yeah. And so taking that action and also acknowledging, I think the key part that I wanted to focus on also for today is when he mentioned that it's actions, right? So kind of taking it away to where a person is racist versus that the actions or the decisions they're making are racist. Because then that Mm -hmm. allows for change. That allows for Mm -hmm. growth. 
And that also allows people to be introspective and seeing what it is in their decision and their actions that either go against racism or is complicit in it, whether it's at their jobs or like in friend groups, families, even if with different conversations. And so I think that's where today we're going to kind of be focusing on like those action pieces, right? So like what are things mm-hmm. that we can do for, for me, it's as a, like a non-Black person, you know, person of color who I want to learn more, but also show up, right? <laughs> for, yeah. for this other, the, for my, for these other communities um, that are facing injustice. Well, and I think when you change the perspective of calling out the action versus the person and kind of their characteristics, then I think that that is a lot more powerful because I feel like if you tell somebody something about their character, there's an immediate like shutdown, right? And then to add another layer, let's add patriarchy. If you are telling a man like you as a woman are telling a man that they are xyz patriarchy automatically tells them to dismiss you because like we're not on equal levels right and so and honestly so like pj says this all the time shout out pj she says black women are going to save the world and i truly believe it but a lot of times women Black women, Indigenous women, women of color are the ones having to do the work and start the conversation, especially like with our Black, Indigenous men of color. But um, sorry, small tangent. But I think that that then allows kind of how you said for that growth and that change. If you call out the action, because then they're they're able to separate the action from themselves. Right. And say like, okay, so me saying this is racist versus me as a person, I'm racist, which then like causes people to be defensive. So I think that that's a good skill to have. And I think especially with our students, because sometimes it can be weird, right? With your friends, especially let's say you're barely coming to UF, you're part of Adelante, you're barely meeting somebody for the first time and they say something and you're trying to make friends, right? Like you barely got to campus. How do you have that conversation in a way that's like gentle enough to still keep that relationship, but to also kind of cause that change, which is, I think, what we hope to see, especially in this next upcoming year, because fall's about to be something else, y'all. We got a huge election. We're in the middle of a revolution. We still got a pandemic going on. Like, it's a lot. And actually, the point, I agree with everything you just said, but I think also when you mentioned about how, you know, like Black black individuals, Black women, they're about like advocacy. When you uh-huh. look at the history of like movements, right, like social movements, they very much have been on the front. Like when you look at Stonewall, right? A lot, the people who, the first people who threw the brick were uh, two. A trans black and trans Latina woman. Yes. And I think something that, especially when you're having conversations, right, with your family and they're like, well, how does this affect? Because there's, there's going to be some people who may be like, how does this affect me? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, first off, these are people, but you will, let's connect it. Let's connect it period for people. But I think something that we need to kind of insist on are those intersections, but also mm-hmm. seeing 
how the struggles of one injustice requires that we like to dismantling injustice requires that we dismantle all. I think a lot of times the struggles of whether it's like colonized, oppressed, or like immigrants, individuals, they're very much entangled and linked struggles, but I think sometimes they try to separate into different groups, recognizing that very much when you look at social movements, it's been that interracial, you know, solidarity that has contributed to like some development of some really like powerful movements and just working together to get things done. So I just want to acknowledge that a lot of movements and things are very much on the backs of Black, Indigenous, POCs that, you know, kind of get it going. But advocacy is a a good part to kind of go into because something I know that we wanted to talk about today too was that also that idea of like an ally versus an accomplice, especially with like a lot of things that are going on right now. So there's marches. Social media has also become like very much a tool Mm-hmm. Um, that people have used to like you know spread information um to share kind of things what what are your when you hear like ally versus accomplice what are your thoughts on that well so I quickly wanted to go back though to kind of what you were saying in terms of intersectionality because I think that we do really need to think about that because like liberation is going to be liberation for everybody not only for one group and I mm-hmm. think that when we like when I have conversations with my family I'm letting them know because some people in my family are very much like an all lives matter type of people Uh and i'm like yes but right now black lives are the ones that matter and if we don't put them at the forefront right now we're next i mean we're the next like we're being scapegoated currently with being called like rapists and drug dealers and all of this stuff and all the children at the border it's about to be a year since the El Paso shooting happened. And so, I mean, we're in this all together. When we think about unity, this is the time. One of my favorite quotes is Audre Lorde, where she says, there is no thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live single issue lives. Mm -hmm. So all of our identities are coming together to make us who we are. Therefore, if I'm liberated in one identity, let's say my identity as a woman, I still have other identities that I'm going to need that make me me. And so I'm not going to be fully liberated. So we're here for the complete liberation of everybody. Anyways, back to your question. Um, So me, when I think of an ally versus an accomplice, I think that a lot of times we are taught that, you know, allyship is important. We need to be allies, blah, blah, blah. However, I think that there's a difference between saying that you're an ally, so like talking the talk, versus walking the walk, which to me is an accomplice. Because when, I know when I was in college, we would talk about like, if I go to jail for any reason, I need you to bail me out, right? But there's a difference between the person who would be bailing you out and the person who you would be in jail with. Right. And I mean, the whole like prison industrial complex is an issue as well. But when we would when I think of somebody who is an accomplice, that's going to be the homies that are going to ride for me, that are going to be there for me, that are going to hook me up with a dollar or two when I need it, that will be out on the front lines with me, that are going to be talking about stuff with me and even challenging me to be better. So that's the action piece versus somebody who is like, oh yeah, cool, like, we're cool, 
I support you, period. And like, that's it. To me, it's the difference between like talking the talk and walking the walk, which I think right now there's so many things going on. I mean, the backdrop of this whole revolution is a pandemic. And so there's going to be some people who are immunocompromised. And then something that's been weighing on my heart a lot right now as well is our DACA-mented students because the Supreme Court's supposed to be making a decision on that by the end of the month. And so there might be people who are not out there on the front lines protesting and like carrying the signs, et cetera, because there's something, there's a reason they can't. However, they might be on the backdrop, having conversations with their family, donating money, donating time, which is all equally as important because without those people, then some things might not be happening. An example is like, I had the opportunity to go to the protest in Houston, the protest for George Floyd, and I thought it was very beautiful that on the sidelines of everybody marching, there were people who were giving out free water, giving out free masks. There was a truck with like, boxes and boxes of pizza and they were like hey here's some pizza right to where some people who might who might be out there might have not ate all day they might be homeless so for there to be those resources it has to come from somewhere and that might be the people in the backdrop that can't be out there but they are donating money or reallocating resources which is equally as important Mm -hmm. so I think that there's different ways to be accomplices. And I think that we need to rethink allyship and how that really shows up. And if we truly want to be an ally or an accomplice. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point. I also think it's important to also state, like, you can't call yourself an ally, right? Like, that is something that the community that you are trying to support, they are the only ones that could they you know, say whether or not you could do the work so you can mm-hmm. support and you could try to do, you know, educate. But I think, like you said, like a compass goes past, I, like a, at the protest and also like listening to different people, they've been kind of stating on like those, those signs that say like, I mean, I never understand thing, but I see you. And they're like, mm-hmm. and that's great, but it needs to go past just seeing like, how are you then kind of that action piece? So you see me, you, you understand that this is happening to, you know, these individuals but now what so you've acknowledged it so what's the next step and I think you made a great point that there are a lot of different ways that people can can kind of do things so if you're not protesting maybe that is sharing information on Instagram I I know like right now a lot of people you know sharing information with petitions on Mm -hmm. people to call emails to kind of send to different people for um like you know brianna taylor and different people who still they're they're the cops that were involved in that they're still in charges and like all this other stuff and Mm -hmm. so i think information especially now and like you said this is all in a backdrop of a pandemic which makes things you know kind of complicated like you said tricky and so that's where each person as an individual has to see you know like what, what is the way it works like you want to contribute to this because like not everyone can go out and walk in a protest but there's a lot mm-hmm. of different things that like people can do and so that includes to educating yourself and not putting labor back on on the people who are experiencing injustices Black people have already done, like, they're, they are, 
paid They've it. been trying to tell us. Yeah, I'm like, pay, if you want, like, I know some of my friends who, like, I've had conversations with them. They're like, people are, like, DMing them for information on their experiences. Like, this, and they're like, this is a lived experience for me. I don't want to, like, that's not my job. And it can and be I'm traumatic. Like, yeah, I'm like, yeah. So I think that's something, too, where, I, like, if you are a non-Black individual, you with the internet there's so much out there that you can Mm. take the initiative to do the research yourself because already like this is lived talking about one's lived experiences can trigger a lot of different things and Mm -hmm. also black people already do so much unplayed labor with like when Mm -hmm. you know starting some of these things so that's my kind of call to action too is like educate yourself take the time and it's also look at it as an investment into gaining a, a deeper understanding that can also help you, right, as you navigate different mm-hmm. things. And there's, like, so much information out there. We're going to even link um, on the on this episode, MCDA. So our um, department at UF created, like, a little a resource that people could use that kind of just lists different um, readings and just different links, different people you could go to to, like, start getting some information, hearing different perspectives on things. So we're going to link that for anyone who may be interested in, like, having things to read or different recommendations. But I would for sure say, like, taking the time advocating for you know at this time mean just sharing information and also educating yourself so you could speak to it a little bit more informed whether you know when you're having conversations maybe with people who you have to like kind of push them a little bit then let that be it because and I and I think also recognizing that these are uncomfortable times for some people but that change is only gonna happen if you are uncomfortable if you're being complicit and you're just kind of staying in this comfort zone things are gonna be be changed and I think that's something that with this movement, we see a lot of people just kind of, they're pushing and they're going and they're going for it. And I'm, I'm just, though it's a lot to see at the media and stuff, it's also like really beautiful how people could come together, especially like you said, in a time where there's so much going on, but still have that kind of solidarity and that support in our joint struggles. You know, I want to see it as, you know, you got to lift everybody up if we all want to kind of go up eventually in the future. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think even something that we can really think about, too, is when we think of how are we as a Latinx community connected to this. <sighs> Trayvon Martin was killed by a Latino, a white Latino, a grown ass man killed a little boy. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, and that was in Florida. Uh-huh. But then also Philando Castile was killed by a white Latino police officer. Mm-hmm. And so we are very much a part of the conversation, even if we don't want to be, and not in the best way currently, you know? And so how do we use our power and our voices that we currently have to right those wrongs as much as we can, mm-hmm. right? Because like when I found out, I was like, oh, embarrassing. Like, you know, when there's a mass shootings and you're listening to the news and you're like, oh, man, I hope it wasn't somebody Latino. And then it's not. And you're like, Phew. now, like nobody can say that it was us. But that's what happened in those two instances. So we are very much connected to the struggle. But how can we make sure that we're connected in the right ways? as in like how you mentioned uplifting the voices that need to be uplifted, using whatever privileges we have, whatever resources we have 
to be able to support Black lives, our Black friends, our Black colleagues, Black voices in this whole struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, and part of that too is censoring them too. So if you're talking about something that like right now with Black Lives Matter, a lot of people have been like, oh, police brutality affects like multiple people. I'm like, that's true. So if you're, if you're using POC, when you should be saying Black, if you're trying to advocate for something, um, I think that's an important distinction too, because then that just leaves, it kind of goes to the whole erasure point. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, the system treats marginalized or POC people with, you know, they face injustices and stuff. And I'm like, that's true. But right now we're focusing on Black individuals, yeah. Black communities, Black populations. And I think that's also an important kind of key, especially when you're having those conversations, because some people, in my experience, they change it automatically to like POC. I'm like, yes, but you and me were talking about kind of the things that were going on right now. Um, so let's recenter that conversation to see like, you know, it kind of gets to the root of different things that we were talking about. So those are those are all good tidbits to go. And on. not saying Latinos for Black lives because we have Black Latinos. Mm-hmm. And so to just say Latinos for Black lives means that we're erasing our Afro-Latino folk, our Black Latinos, um, which we mentioned earlier. I mean, more people were brought in the slave trade to Latin America than they were brought to the United States. So that again is part of the erasure. We need to make sure that we are reiterating the correct information because if we don't, then we're just going to be complicit to white supremacy, white thought, white information, which as we know, usually isn't 100% the truth. Mm-hmm. And they decolonize our minds. <laughs> yes! But with that kind of thing, I think history is so, is so much is an important part to understand, right, why some things are kind of how they are. And so that's why... There was a lot of information we could have tried to tackle, but I think it could be a lot for one episode. So we're Mm going to do kind of a follow-up episode with this. Hopefully, we're trying to get collaboration with a professor, someone who kind of is knowledgeable in this kind of realm, so we can have more conversations on that. So that's something, if you're interested in learning about that type of stuff, make sure to kind of stay tuned, because that's going to be coming out soon, hopefully. But kind of unpacking that, because I think that's something where we have to acknowledge our own histories, too in order to understand why things are how they are and some of the attitudes and different things that kind of exist within the the community. So yeah, maybe DM us. I mean, if you have questions, DM us either on Instagram or email us with questions that you might have about anti-Blackness in the Latinx community. And we can try to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. So I think that's good. good. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And with that, we're going to go ahead and transition to our senior send-off segment. Today, we're going to start with Eliza Martinez. She majored in anthropology and criminology and minored in East Asian language and literature. For her memorias y consejos, my name is Eliza Martinez, and in my four years at UF, I have learned leadership, confidence, and diversity and inclusion. I was part of MLP in 2016, assistant director of MLP in 2017-2018, MFOS mentor 2017-2018, a sister of Theta Nu Xi Multicultural Sorority, Inc., 2017 to present, Dominican Student Association president in 2018 and 2019, and a preview staffer for 2018 and more. 
Within my involvement, I was able to not only enhance my skills as a global gator and leader, but also help enhance the student experience at UF to make sure people like me and first-generation Afro-Latinas are able to call UF their home in many ways. Congratulations, Eliza! Yay. And our next person is Kendra Blandon, and she majored in, um, she got a BA in Religion with Honors and a BA in International Studies, which is cool. So Latin America and the Caribbean as the focus. And for the Memoria y Consejo, they said, my Latinidad blossomed in La Salita and La Casita. I will forever be grateful for the trust my peers had in me as the HHM executive director as you led a major celebration and I treasure those memories with all of you deeply. Keep studying, working, and fighting for your dreams. Never let them die. Thank you to my teachers, mentors, friends, LTA sisters, and family por todo tu amor y apoyo. Period. Aww, that gave me goosebumps. <laughs> I love graduation season. And then next we have Kristen Santasier. She majored in health science and her memorias and consejos. During my time at UF, I have seen myself grow in so many ways. My involvement started during sophomore year with MLP and led to my senior year with becoming a sister of Gamma Eta Sorority Incorporated, each shaping me into the woman I am today. The many people I have met along the way have each contributed to my outlook on life and I know our paths crossed for a reason. These past four years have come and gone in the blink of an eye and I am thankful for every second. Aw, congratulations, Kristen. Mm -hmm. So congratulations to those seniors for graduating, and we wish you all the best for what the future holds for y'all. Yes. And with that, thank you for an amazing conversation, Hasmin. I think that this really set a good foundation for starting the conversation, not only within our community, but with each other and ourselves. And I'm excited for part two part two so see y'all then have a good one bye bye